everyone. We're back. We're back. How are you guys? Did you miss me? I missed you. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast this week. I feel like I never welcome you guys to the podcast, but here we are. I'm welcoming you this time. This episode's really great. I talked to Leanne Chapton, who's an amazing writer and illustrator, such a wonderful woman. We had such a great talk. And I think we touched on a lot that I've been thinking about sort of at length ever since. Uh, Leanne and I talked a lot about jealousy. But I've been thinking about it lately with a lot more emphasis on what it means to be jealous of people on a creative level. I don't know. I feel like I suck at comedy and I should just stop and I don't know why everyone's been lying to me this whole time. You know what I mean? Does anyone else ever get that? It's such a weird roadblock to hit and I don't know if I'm feeling it really hard right now because I didn't start being a creative person until I was older. So I started doing comedy and writing in that vein when I was 27. I'm almost 30. I didn't consider myself a creative person. I didn't consider myself an artist. I just figured I'd be like a lifelong appreciator of art. And then I found this thing and I found this creative outlet and it's been probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Yet here I am being like, you suck. You fucking suck at this. You're not funny. Everything you write is bad. I don't know necessarily what to do about it other than maybe ride it out. The additionally troubling thing about this sort of series of like feelings and anxieties I've had around my art and my creative process is that I have so many friends who are wildly successful in their respective creative fields and in my respective creative field. I know a lot of comedians who are at levels in comedy that I wish I was at or maybe I think unfairly that I should be at. It's hard. It's hard to be professionally jealous because it feels like a motivator, but it also feels really shitty. A lot of the people I'm jealous of are people who I love and adore and who I love and adore their work. And I wish nothing, I wish nothing but the best for all of my friends who are creative and specifically my friends who are comedians. But it's like, well, fuck that shit. Like, why? Not fuck that shit. Do you know what I mean? But it's like you get that emotion where you're like, I'm I'm fucking so proud of this person. But also like, why not me? (laughs) You know? (sighs) I don't know. I don't know if this is hitting me harder because I feel like an adult. You know what I mean? I've opened up to a lot of friends about it who are creative people and they all genuinely have the same experience and feel guilty about feeling jealous. So there's this mantra that I like to repeat to myself. I try to remember it so much every day, every minute, is that other people's successes are not your failures. 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 Everyone say it with me. Um, And it's so simple, but it's the truest thing. I totally think it's okay to be jealous. I think if you use jealousy as a motivator or as something that allows you to work on stuff within yourself, it's great. I think that jealousy has been unfairly put into the negative emotion category, which I just don't think is true. 
A very smart woman once said to me that Jay-Z was only 27. He was 27 when he put his first album out. Are me and Jay-Z on the same life and career path? Probably, definitely, 100% not. But that did make me feel better. Shout out to Rawia, one of the smartest people I know. I'm really going to (laughs) try to feel less like I need to be on some 30 under 30 list in the next two months because it's not fucking happening, you know? And to just go at my own pace because it's been working. It's been working okay so far. And to try and have a little bit more faith in myself. That's also worked out pretty fucking good. I hope you guys are all well. And I hope that maybe my mantra helps you too. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode because I really did. I'm so obsessed with the like concept of jealousy and how we refuse to talk about it and how it's a super feminized Mm. emotion Mm -hmm. or feeling. I was like, "Ah." (laughs) like I felt so much of that. Did any of that come into play when that was like what you decided to write and like draw about? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, it is 10 years old. Like this is the reissue of it. Oh, okay. So this came out in 2006 in hardcover with Farrar, Strauss and Giroux in the States. Oh, okay. And it was... Weirdly shelved, you know how they have on the back of books where the bookstores should Mm -hmm. shelf things. It was advised that it be shelved in relationships. And so I don't know that it did so well in that section because it's not going to save anybody's relationship. (laughs) It's not Um, an advice book. Not an advice book. Um, One of my friends called it a feel-bad book instead of a feel-good. Well, clearly. Yeah. And um, (laughs) when I wrote it, which was 10 years ago, it was the beginning of – my relationship with the man I would then marry. Mm -hmm. And he was older than me. He had just had this history. And, you know, it was actually inspired at the same time sort of the year before by I've just always been a little bit jealous. Mm -hmm. And it was a interesting to just admit that. Like, finally, like, yeah, I'm I'm kind of am a jealous type. So good to admit that. And then this one time I was staying in a boyfriend's flat in London. He went out for the day to work and I was like, I'll just sketch in the, you know, I'll just sketch in the house. And of course there's, you know, these pictures magneted to the fridge and some other snapshots in the bookshelf. And, you know, you're like, I'm like, this place is haunted. Mm -hmm. And then I just was like, I got to get out of these rooms. And I went into the living room and just started drawing um, women Mm -hmm. and just imagining like, sort of a face and a and a sentence to those things that I was feeling. And I think I made 14 of them and carried those around for a year and would sometimes, you know, Xerox them on pink, you know, Kinko's paper mm-hmm. and give them to friends who had the same, we'd have these conversations about jealousy for in a sort of zany way. And mm-hmm. then one of a, a friend and an editor in London actually said, you know, this could be a book. And then I uh, took it to my agent with examples of, um, some Bill Stieg books, and he was like, yeah, I, I could see this. Mm-hmm. So it was all, but it was all born out of just admitting I was jealous. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it took me a long time to be like, yeah, that's, I am a jealous person. <laughs> and I think that's okay. It's fun to talk about it once you admit it. Yeah. And it's, and then once it's out there, you, you realize this whole canon of jealousy art 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's Othello and there's Rebecca and yeah. there's, you know, Carmen and there's and there's the theme of jealousy is so old and so deep. Yeah. And and, and primal and crimes of passion are always running around jealousy. And and I mean, what you said about it being a feminized emotion, too, it 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 comes across that way in my book because I decided to mm-hmm. just go with women because I found that men's jealousy um, was weirdly categorical that had to do with territory or property or Mm -hmm. um, money or there it was just a lot more boring Mm -hmm. and then women's jealousy was like her earlobes were like this or like you know what I mean they're such nuanced weird tiny little things that and almost like more emotional way more emotional yeah where the threat is emotional and had much more to do with internal stuff than that but it was fun to talk to um men and women about jealousy. I say that it's more feminized because in my conversations with people about jealousy, men are so much more hesitant to admit to it or mm. to categorize it uh more so as a bad emotion where it's like, well, I don't want to be jealous and I that's something I want to change about myself. And I'm like, I don't know, I think jealousy can manifest itself into good things like mm-hmm. I don't think it's, it's a negative. sign of life yeah <laughs> I but I think that it's I think jealousy can be motivating I think it can be self-reflective almost it's, well it's a, it makes you vulnerable yeah it makes you feel crappy yeah when you're doing it and angry and gross and you're like am I a snoop you know do I read like how far do I go into mm-hmm. someone who I'm not proud of like yeah. it's something that you're as you are experiencing it, you kind of know you're not proud of it. And that temperature of emotion is mm-hmm. really weird, like, to kind of try to go into that. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. Because yeah. it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's, like, dark and uncomfortable. Like, let's go. The one in the book <laughs> that really got to me was the woman who was, like, I don't care about exes. I care about who comes after me. And I was, like, wow, that's me. Oh, that's me. Okay. I'm always, like, who's your new girlfriend? Yeah. Is she, she like, pretty? Yeah, is she pretty? <laughs> is she smart? Does she look like me? Is there a pattern? You're the Jolene singer. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. You're Dolly. Yeah, <laughs> I am Dolly. <laughs> That's literally the greatest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> I wish I was wearing more sequins right now. Yeah. Um, and it can be sort of, it can go back and forth in time that way. And I was talking about it with my friend this morning, and we were both like, yeah, we don't even really care about our exes, like the people. Like I'm more <laughs> inclined to like I'm more inclined to dig into like the people that they've been with mm-hmm. or the people that they are with or whatever. It's like I feel like you get so much more insight from people. Well, it's like th- an oblique portrait. Yeah. Of both of that person and of the role that you once occupied. So yeah. obliquely it's of you too. And kind of how, you know, you compare. And I mean, there's a lot in it. Interestingly, like I I, I love that this is your reaction to it. And we, you know, talked about our difference in ages too, because mm-hmm. I wrote it when I was 31. Yeah. And I do think that also there is this, there is this time, both in relationships, probably in the first one year or two, mm-hmm. and a time as you start to become more self-aware of who you are and what you're doing and what your strengths are, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I do think that it's something that is a little bit more acute in 20s and 30s, and I do think it's something that's acute in the first 6 to 18 months of a relationship, yeah. <laughs> and that's when it's like, oh. like reading Rebecca, one of the things that I loved about it was that Daphne du Maurier erased the name of the of the narrator so she never the woman who narrates the story is not named and it has that like 
you look so outward, like you're saying. Anyway, it's interesting. Yeah. Same with Jolene. You never hear who's singing that. It's not self-effacing. It's mm-hmm. self-eradicating. Do you think it's like more heavy when you talk about like personal relationships? Because I feel like mm. like career jealousy is seen as like normal, like being jealous. Just of, ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's what but, you call it. You call it ambition. And but I also too I like I don't necessarily think there's anything negative about the term ambition. Yeah. It can be and it can't be. So I I love this path you're on to kind of like take the stigma out of jealousy. Mm -hmm. I think ambition is another thing that like is negative when it's placed onto a woman and is positive when it's placed onto a man. Yeah. Like stalking. Yeah. Like, oh, that's just a persistent lover. Like, no, that's just. And then if a woman, you know, if a woman is obsessed with a man, it's like. You're like like hysteric. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. God damn it. (laughs) Um. Yeah, because I remember talking to a friend of mine, a male friend of mine, about jealousy, and he was like, no, it's so bad. It's so bad. I'm, like, trying to, like, eradicate it from my life to, like, Mm. not think about it, not be a jealous person, like, not – because I think sometimes people associate jealousy with, like, comparing yourself to other people, which it definitely is. There's a side of that. Competition and comparison. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny. I was reading the book last night in the Rialto into a darkened theater full Mm -hmm. of people. And, you know, this is 11, 10 or 11 years out. And I could hear the negativity. I could hear the kind of meanness and bitchiness. But sometimes that's gleeful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like I could like I knew who I was at that time and I knew why I wanted to locate and contain my jealousy like in these drawings and yeah. things like, you know, because it's so dark. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, of course, there's like the classic narrative of it, like taking over your life and you being consumed by it until it kills you, which is like Othello, right? Mm-hmm. Or that you have to kill someone else or whatever. Um, you know, Shakespeare, <laughs> um, just like lots of murder, suicide. Um, but again, I do like, I like to sort of think that like being a jealous person is like a, a good thing. I do because you know what? It was funny too, because that, you know, in talking to women about this, I hated coming across people, men and women who'd be like, I'm not jealous. Yeah. Are you kidding? You're like, stop lying to me. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I'm right here. Because <laughs> I feel like every single person, if you aren't by nature a jealous person, you have been jealous. And the capacity the capacity for jealousy is probably as great as the capacity for empathy or like good things and bad things. We have the capacity like look at how much horrible stuff people mm-hmm. do in the world. If we don't admit that we have capacities yeah. that people we hate have displayed – you know, Similar, where do we, yeah, yeah, where do we start? You know, we're not, whatever. What's that? Who am I to cast the first stone? Yeah. I went to Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> I've like never read the Bible, Bible stories, even though I have an English degree and I probably like should have read it at some point. I like read the mm. Genesis and then I read uh, the apocalypse part, the very end, which I think gives you a good idea, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Book ends. Yeah. Starts good, ends bad or something. I just started reading this book that is not out yet, but I interviewed the woman who wrote it. It's this book called Home Going by a woman named Yaki Yassi, and she mm-hmm. is like 26, and this book is unfucking real. That's and it's great. one of those like fiction narratives that has 
sucked me in and I keep like missing subway stops and all of that. And I just, it gives me such a profound joy. Mm-hmm. When you find a book like that. Yeah. I know. I totally get when people are like, I've never been a reader. Like, I don't much like it, whatever. But, like, it genuinely, like, makes me so sad when I'm like, you've never even just been sucked into, like, Harry Potter. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where you're, like, eight hours later, like, I haven't eaten anything. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I stayed up all night reading The Days of Abandonment story by Elena oh, Ferrante, where yeah. I was just like, this is too insane. I cannot stop. I'm forcing myself to stay up. Mm-hmm. And just finish it all in one. Yeah. Like, I loved it. That's like a feeling for me that's been around since childhood. And it's never like wavered for mm-hmm. me. Whereas like the way I appreciate art in other ways has. You know, they're, they're, it's going to sound so stupid, but books are your friends. Yeah. Like, they really <laughs> sustain you and they really are there. And like I rely on them both for like for escape and for therapy and for, you know, guidance like in days Mm -hmm. of abandonment yeah (laughs) no I mean you know anyway I know that's like a weird platitude like thing to say but I like thinking about them that way companions I think it's why I'm hesitant to get rid of them like I have so many books every time I move I'm like why are you doing this to yourself but it's like oh I couldn't like Juno Diaz I need you you can't leave me you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like Mm -hmm. I mean I'm forever lending do you like hardcovers no yeah. I try not to because then I won't read them because oh. I can't carry them around. Yeah. I have a copy of 2666 yeah. sitting on my a hardcover <laughs> copy of it that I'm just like, I love you, Bolano, but I might never <laughs> read this specific edition of this book because it would be insane to yeah. like bring it on the subway. Yeah. I remember once I was in this book club and we were proposing reading Bleak Club in the size of – or Bleak Club – Bleak House. Yeah. I was in a book house and we were at Bleak Club. Um, we were proposing reading Bleak House and the size of it came up and we just said, we'll buy the paperback and we'll break the spine and tear it in two. And yeah. Like, That's probably how I should have read Infinite Jest because I just carried that, that motherfucker on the subway and yeah. looked like a pr- real pretentious piece of shit while just I read it. Just serialize it yeah. with your exacto. Yeah. Life. I had a it's professor a that called them sternum crushers. Yeah. <laughs> do boys carry books that way I don't know but when you, you know lay down about, to read, oh yeah 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 you're right you're like oh the bible um, I don't see boys carrying books that way yeah I rest lots anyway, of stuff me too in there um, <laughs> I used it to put like a, a drink on the other day my like boob shelf and my <laughs> a male colleague of mine was like oh that's, that's an interesting use and I was like so subconscious, you know what I mean? I didn't even think about it. I want. I saw a bra. I think it was on Etsy. You know how like Etsy yeah. just has these incredible homemade things that had a pocket there, and it wasn't like a um, like a vintage thing. This was like a new. Oh. And I was like, bring that back. Yeah, that's awesome. I've never been one of those people, like a, a person that likes stuff things in my bra to like hold Me it there neither. because I'm like, whoa, I've It'll already got. Just- yeah, and there's already boobs in there. Like there will be like coins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you have a hole in your pocket of your coat and everything winds and stuff in the hem. You're like, oh, that loony just fell out of my bra. And I think I'd it. put a something keys or a snack. Yeah. Oh, a snack. <laughs> Some licorice. Yeah. Oh, licorice is the perfect snack to shove down warm. there. It would warm up. Mm. I'm sorry. I don't know. You know, and it make it soft too because sometimes you get the licorice that's been in the convenience yeah. store for a little too long. Too hard. Too crunchy. Yeah. Boob licorice is something I find deeply that appealing. That could be a was she pretty. Yeah. Yeah. 
She used to carry licorice around carry in her licorice. boobs. Her licorice was warm. Yeah. And red. <laughs> I love all the drawings. They're so... Thank you. They're, like, simplistic, but you do such a good job of, like, making all the people look very individual. Mm. I mean, it's funny. I don't draw faces as much as I did 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but I like zeroing in on really interesting parts of faces. Like, I noticed as soon as I sat down, the, the lipstick. Oh, the yeah. Paint, yeah. It's nice. My, it's my JLo lipstick. It's really good. <laughs> Thank you. Um like, I love zeroing in on stuff like that. And funnily enough, just going through this book again, I was like, oh, yeah, I love trying whatever the bags under people's eyeballs yeah. are called. Yes. Stuff like these little parts of faces. It's the same with, like, writing in a way where the book was, like, that vibe to me. Like, a little, like, sentence or two sentences and then, like, a very like, simple drawing, but you're like, oh, the t- in my mind, like, that's a fully fleshed out person. Well, that's what, the, you're, that's what I was hoping the reader's mind would do, Yeah, fill in all those blanks, because if it were too articulated, mm-hmm. and I said, like, well, Roger's a, Roger loved licorice, and Pamela had these, like, and she had this green bra that had, like, lace on the thing. Yeah. Like, it would be too... Then it's like, yeah, you've lost me. But it's also sort of how this was my first book, so it's minimal because I also didn't really, I mean, I still wouldn't exactly say I know how to write but I was really trying to do a condensed thing because I hadn't ever written long form before so it's like start with the short form and try to make it as close to what I wanted as possible which was like a a nice way to start um editing like you edit something that's eight words long and you know rather than eight thousand but yeah it was my first foray into writing and that's so cool. Uh, okay, so I just talked to Jillian Tamaki, who mm, is yeah. um, also a very brilliant illustrator. Yeah, I love her. And she was talking about recently coming into this thing where she was, like, wanting to write her own stuff because she had done those mm-hmm. – a couple books with her, her cousin sis, Mariko. Yeah. yeah, and people – I mean, the first one, Skim, was, like, nominated for a governor general, but only mm-hmm. Mariko was nominated even though they, like, yeah. made the book together, yeah. right? And so she was like, I'm interested in – Telling the stories that go along with my images. Mm-hmm. Was that like an impulse for you or was... Well, I'd always wanted to write as mm-hmm. much as I'd wanted to draw. But the drawing came first, I think, just because, I don't know, I had an easier facility. And so as I, you know, had these impulses, it sounds like Jillian was having, like, I, I don't want to illustrate other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. I want it to, to be mine, you know, mm-hmm. or I know my ear I can trust. So all that, it was funny because... I was talking about this with Adrian. The um, illustrators who can write or, con- or graphic novelists or this and that, it's a really, it's almost like if you develop a style in one discipline, the chances of you being able to develop a style in another discipline are pretty high. Mm-hmm. Like all of your standards are there, your discernment's there. And if you're a reader, you can probably find a way to express express the style that you developed as an illustrator in another way. I was talking, you know, Christoph Neiman, like there's always these examples of um, of illustrators who then write. Um, you know, Myra Kalman has her painting style and her writing style, and and most illustrators, because it's a print media, mm-hmm. read and are like voracious good readers. And and uh, yeah, I think Jillian should. I hope so. Yeah, and she's well. She did the um, Hunchman Super Mutant Magic, Magic Academy, which mm-hmm. was I think her like first foray mm-hmm. into writing 
you know, I'm essentially making a web comic, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, she was like, I learned so much from doing that because it's like writing it was, is it was so hard yeah. too. Like it's so hard. That's what I realized once I started. I was like, oh my god. I have this thought that most illustrators I know are. I think you have to be a good storyteller. My best friend is an illustrator, mm-hmm. and she loves to make comics. Mm-hmm. And she's always she's always like, oh, I'm not a very good writer. I'm not a very good writer. But she writes these. She can express more in a six-paneled image with ten words in it exactly. than sometimes yeah. I can if you give me seven minutes to, like, mm-hmm. get on stage and tell a story, right? Mm-hmm. I'm such a, like, verbal mess. And <laughs> I like the succinctness, and I like... The I like the way the economy, that it can be. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. But man, it's one of the hardest things. Like with like, I can't believe how quickly Sheila can write. Like when I see her, sometimes I'll be like, I don't know. I'm just thinking of the time when we were on a plane, we were both writing something, and she was just hundreds and hundreds, and, and I was like, I I just got two hundred here, like, yeah. like <laughs> well, two hour flight, and so there's a facility, but I could do that with drawing. You yeah, know? Like right. It's a funny, yeah. I think it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Do you have, like, plans to write something that isn't attached to the illustrative yeah. drawing? Well, I'm weirdly doing that now. I'm working on a piece of kind of journalism, but mm-hmm. again, I'm not like a trained reporter or journalist, but I'm doing something where I don't necessarily get to control how it'll be designed and printed. Oh. So, um, and I'm only responsible for the text because it's an, it's an article for a magazine. And um, I love it. Like, it's so hard, but I love it. But it is like going back to something I'm drawing. Like, say mm-hmm. I'm drawing a chair and I do it and then it doesn't look right and I'll do it again. It's the same mm-hmm. sort of whittling away with sentences it's just at the beginning, it just doesn't look anything like a chair. Yeah. <laughs> a paragraph. I'm like, or it looks like a really ugly chair. Yeah. Whereas like with drawing, it's like it's pretty close to the first go around. Yeah. And I tried to do that with swimming studies. I don't know if you know that book, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, chapters that are just visual and mm-hmm. chapters that are just written. And I really wanted to experiment with that book and go, can I have tone that somehow matches what I feel when I make something to look at. I mean, it never came close to what I wanted it to be exactly, <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, it, it was a, an effort. I mean, you don't think that writing-wise you have a style that matches your art, or do you? I do, that, I, I, that I've sort of developed again over the last 10 years um, since Was She Pretty. It's just that when I know what I want a picture to look like, I can get kind of close. Yeah. Not that, yep. you know. But when I know what I want something to hear, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. And uh, then finally, you know, it, something comes close. But I think I'm getting a bit of a style, and it does relate to a lot of white space, a lot of mm-hmm. leaving things out, a lot of like, um, how, what did we say before it was where, you know, the reader comes to it and fills in the blanks. Yeah. If I want to kind of try to characterize my writing style. There's still a lot of blanks to be filled in just because I like to read that too. I like to go, oh my God, you know, Alisman was trusting me to know exactly what this is uh, supposed to feel like or meaning or... I've never really liked art or writing that was very prescriptive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember like being in university and reading uh, 
baths and stuff mm. and being like, oh, yeah, man, authorial intent. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> it's nothing. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm 20 and that just blew my fucking brain out. Uh, but mm. I remember being at the AGO a couple years ago now mm -hmm. and they had they were doing this thing where they would be like like there would be like signs in the bathroom that were like you feel like this way about art because like society has it was like telling you like how you feel about it and I was just like I hate everything about this <laughs> I was like I get what you're like trying to do this sort of like meta idea of like what it is like to be engaging with art in this like space that we're in but it's funny because I had the opposite experience in Boston because I went to the Isabella Gardner mm -hmm. Museum she built this house and museum um modeled after sort of a Venetian palazzo and it's the kind of museum where the captions aren't underneath the paintings you have a, a map of the room and a numbered kind of legend to what the paintings are so you walk in and you're so used to just in a museum going mm -hmm. like oh there's a picture there's the thing yeah there's a picture there's a thing to read yeah. and instead you go in and you're like is that a fake like who yeah. did that is that that copy of that famous painting like what is this tarnished tapestry it's a completely yeah. different experience, and um, I loved it. Like, I loved it. It felt so much like I could feel the rooms more, and it felt like I could feel the collector more. Yeah. And the place is weird. I mean, it just felt like this mad grab through Europe, <laughs> like just, just like collecting all these things and religious things and pieces of Japanese this. And um, I mean, I knew a little bit about her before, but I had no idea it felt kind of like weird and grubby and personal. And mm -hmm. I think I think had there been this kind of way of reading and captioning and kind of explaining, it wouldn't have had this personal quality. Yeah. It was great. Currently, as Anshman knows, because I feel like I talk about this every episode, I'm, like, weirdly obsessed with, um, I love, like, British history before, like, up to the Edwardian period. Oh, okay. Because it feels yeah. like British people were just, like, especially, like, the aristocracy and, like, the royals were just, like, wilding out, like, doing insane things all the time, just wasting endless amounts of money. Mm -hmm. Collecting the weirdest stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've recently become re-obsessed with antiques roadshow okay um and the, but the british one is so great because like british people will be like well this uh teapot's been sitting in my house for i don't even know how long and then they'll be like yeah it's from like uh the 13th century and uh you're just like what i know europe it's so stained yeah it's so deep yeah i know Canada's so young. I know. We're so shiny. People here are like, oh, I have this thing. It's from the 60s. We're like, ooh, it's so old. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the crazy. Melmac or melamine. Yeah. I love Melmac stuff. It's so good. I have like a little tea set that's yeah. forest green Melmac. It's probably off-gassing. Yeah. I know. That's what, like, I was like, can I feed this stuff? Like, my daughter loves melamine. And I was like, don't touch no, that. Don't. It's probably. <laughs> How old is your daughter? She's almost three. Oh. Yeah. That's such a good age because they're like learning to speak English. Yeah. And you're like, man, you're saying shit. <laughs> I know she says, I don't know where it came from because I never bothered it. She says, I have a question. I was like, you didn't learn that from me. Like, <laughs> I just interrupt. <laughs> I just barge right in. I have a question. I have a question. I have a question. 
It's, it's funny. That's so cute. It's weird. I don't know uh, where it came from. My friends that have, like, toddlers say the same thing. It's like they'll say a turn of phrase to you, and you're just like, who have you been talking to? Yeah. Who else do you talk to? It's just me and, like, you know, your other parent. Like, Yeah, and then it's like, oh, that's your personality. Yeah. <laughs> like, wherever, whatever that stuck to you or you stuck to it, like, you're becoming that. That's sort of crazy. It's weird, yeah. That's actually, like, what always has freaked me out about, like, having kids. It's, like, not being pregnant or, like, giving birth. It's, like, what do you do when you're, like, kids become real people? As a person. Mm-hmm. You have to really be careful with that. And yeah. deal with, like, the repercussions mm-hmm. of what people's personalities are. Yeah, or just guide it. Like, yeah. just please don't, you know, be a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> Does your daughter like art? Is she showing, like, creative inclinations? Yeah, she loves drawing and painting and music and dancing, all that stuff that, you know, she does it with. Like, I just look at her little sketches and it's like, oh, Twombly. Like, he held on to what the beauty that, like, Mm -hmm. my child could do this, whatever. But I just look at it and go, I can't do that. And that is what was so good about Cy Twombly. And these is just that there's this absolute purity to that line and what he did that you can see in it. I mean, I'm sure he worked really hard at it too, mm-hmm. but I just, I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> like, how... I, yeah, there's something about knowing that you're making art that's like. Deadly. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult and fun and hard, but. But it's like. Self-conscious. Self-consciousness. Man, yeah, both my sisters are brilliant, like artists, like drawing artists. And I remember my youngest sister when she was like two or three, she used to just come out of nowhere with these, she would have taken paper towel or like pieces of like printer paper and she would have sculpted them into little birds. Really? And she'd be like, I made this. And we'd be like, wow. <laughs> like, where did the spatial reasoning there yeah. come from? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And it's like that comes naturally. Like you don't – you're not even thinking about like where that came from. Yeah, and pretty much to all children. And then it's sort of like, well, you don't want to – you know, so many parents have stories like that and they're like, oh, yeah, roll your eyes at that. But no, it's like, no, it's real. It's not just you being narcissistic about your own children. Like that's something that's absolutely precious and will never happen again. Yeah. (laughs) And they don't even – like the craziest thing is like we don't remember that. And they just go into this this whole thing in high school where – now you look at this and you're like, that's embarrassing. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> a church with a white fence. Yeah. Or like whatever I painted. Oh, my like. God. Maybe we – I sometimes I'm like, should we just abolish high school and like rethink the whole curriculum? hmm And college. Yeah. Everything happens zero to three. Yeah. Everything. Everything yeah, happens so zero to crazy. three. It's like that's – that's who the people. I mean, this is interesting because it's, it's it's a conversation I have with um with my nanny a lot, who has a, a degree in early childhood education, mm-hmm. and everyone tells her she's overqualified, and she's like, "No, I'm qualified." Like this is what everyone who deals yeah. with zero to three year olds should know. Yeah, is like what I've been taught to apply to you know, kids once they've had trauma. <laughs> Which is oh, like it's that's... too late. She's br- she's brilliant. I love. I mean, I got so lucky, but um, it's really interesting. I'm I I want her to write about it because zero to three is just scientifically proven when all the all the stuff needs to align, needs to be taken care of, needs to be addressed. The eye contact, the the love, the touch, the the just all of that stuff is like happening. Yo, that's so fascinating to me that people would be like. 
you're overqualified to like take care of my children. Like the most delicate, like the most delicate, like, like yeah. What do people moment. want her to do instead? Do you know what I mean? Like, man, we live in a world where it's so like staying in that like theory of academia realm would be so prized over like, hey, I know all this crazy shit about kids from the ages of zero to three. Now, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. let me apply that. She's like, I'm just the right amount qualified, yeah, actually. Thank fact, you. Yeah. <laughs> and I spent so much time doing this theory shit that it maybe would be cool to, like, see, see how that plays out. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, on that note, in conclusion. In conclusion, we're both very cool people. <laughs> <laughs> um, My three-year-old could do this. Yeah. <laughs> OMG, you guys. Thanks so much for listening to episode seven. Are we on episode seven now? Amazing. Lucky number seven, baby. That was uh, the corniest thing I've ever done on this podcast. No, I'm sure it's not. Um, I got to thank Leanne Chapton for coming through. Such a lovely conversation. Go read Was She Pretty because it's fucking amazing. You'll blow through it. of Secrets is, as per usual, brought to you by Hazlitt. Uh, it's hosted by me, Laura Mitchell. Our theme song was made by the wonderful Bianca Giulione. It's produced by the lovely, charming, amazing, very good-looking Anshmanet Amsetti. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We're literally everywhere on the internet. Like, I'd be very concerned if you couldn't find us. Just search Cavern of Secrets. That's us. And then you also might find a Carly Rae Jepsen song, but that would be good too for you. Um, you can also find us on a website, cavernofsecrets.com. Uh, you can and you should follow us on Twitter at Cavern of Secrets. And if you love us and you want to do us a huge solid, you could rate us and leave a little, leave a little loving comment or even a critiquing comment. Do you know what I mean? I'm like not above a critique on iTunes. Anyways, I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. I hope you enjoyed this one. Bye.